Now let's go ahead and let's turn to the reading of God's Word. This can be found in your bulletin. We continue to look at our series on Christmas. If uh, love called your name, how would you respond? And if you'll recall, two weeks ago we looked at Zechariah, and this past week we looked at Mary, and now we're going to take some time and look at Elizabeth and Elizabeth and Mary. So let me read to you the word of the Lord. Luke 1, 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The word of the Lord. Well, there's a great spirit in the air, isn't there? Christmas is in full throttle and coming down the path. And I love Christmas. And I think there's just, I don't know what it is, but there's some great spirit that starts to occur. People seem nicer to one another. Have you noticed that? I mean, sure, there's the, the, the occasional trampling of someone in the Best Buy aisle for that special DVD player. But otherwise, people seem nice. You know, cars let you in during Christmas. <laughs> I tell you what, she's saying, where am I? I was on Laskin Road trying to get onto Great Neck there, which is a death trap right there. And someone like opened up and just let me in. And I thought to myself, what is this? It's Christmas. How about this? You go to office parties. And, you know, for, for the whole year, you sit three cubicles down from someone that you've never, ever talked to. But in this office party, all of a sudden, you guys are best buddies. Now, that could be the eggnog, but I think it's also Christmas. There's an openness and a willingness. Something is in the air. I'm nicer to people at Christmas. I don't know about you. And I love what starts to happen with charities. You know, this whole uh, Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child, where they put together these boxes, and it's astounding. I mean, we're talking millions of millions of these shoe boxes that are packed and sent away. I saw this neat um, article in the Argus Leader, which is the uh, Sioux Falls, North Dakota paper, about prisoners doing good deeds for the homeless. This morning, this is the article, hundreds of homeless children in Sioux Falls will put on winter hats knitted by convicted felons. I'd like to see convicted felons knitting. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Others will still get a wooden toy for Christmas, carved and painted by a prison inmate. And still others will receive a hand-knit doll 
felons making hand-knit dolls. Each item represents the charitable work of prisoners at the South Dakota State Penitentiary. Directed by the warden and the prison staff, the charity work spikes during the holidays and expands each season. What is it about Christmas? And as I sat there thinking about it, I think I came up with what it is that makes Christmas different. And that word is joy. Joy. Christmas is the season of joy. Now, joy is very different from happiness because happiness is what's based on our circumstances. You know, you win the lottery, all of a sudden, you're happy. No, joy is different. You see, the truth of the matter is our circumstances are the exact same right now that they were a month before, weren't they? We still have the same challenges with our work and the same bills that have to be paid, the same relational difficulties, but for some reason during Christmas, our circumstances kind of recede into the background and we experience this joy. I've asked people, you know, Christmas is kind of like a, a lens that we're trying to get into focus what it's about, and I've asked people, what, what is it about Christmas? And they sort of scratch their head and they go, well, I don't know, peace on earth, goodwill to men, but they can't quite get their hands around Christmas. And before we know it, we get a taste of this joy, and then January comes around. Christmas is over, and we pack it all up, and we go about our business for the next 11 months. Wouldn't it be great if we could bottle Christmas? That spirit, that joy, what, wouldn't it be great if we could get to the source of what this joy is all about? I think a little bit about uh, Juan Ponce de Leon. Do you remember him, the one who went off in the quest for the fountain of youth? And he spent all of his life trying to find the source of youth. He never found it. Wouldn't it be great if we could find this source of joy and we could bottle it? And that we could experience it all year round. Maybe you've seen people that seem to have found the secret of how to do that. And you look at their life and they have this joyful life. And you're trying to figure out what, what is it? Where is the source of this joy? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, you see, Christmas and this passage in particular right here lead us to the source of joy. There is a source, and it has been found, and if you look hard enough, you can find it in this passage. See, this passage tells us three critical things. The first thing is that the source of joy is God's favor. The source of joy is God's favor. But the means of joy is God's Son. If the source of joy is God's favor, the means of joy is God's Son. And then finally, the response to joy is God's praise. That's what we're going to look at in uh, this next three-hour sermon that I'm going to provide right now. <laughs> Let's look at this first thing, the source of our joy. Well, many of you, for a little recap, Mary has just heard, we talked about this last week, that she, she was visited by an angel, and she is going to head, she's going to bear the Son of God, that in her womb growing right now is this one to be called Jesus, who will save people from her sins. Well, in this passage, Mary does something very remarkable. If you look at verse 39, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. What's going on in the Greek is it's, it's stressing the hurriedness of it. Mary hears this message and right away prepares to journey to the hill country of Judea to see her aunt Elizabeth. She got ready and she hurried. Now it's very easy for us to sort of gloss over what's going on here. But the hill country of Judea, she lived up in Nazareth, which is in the north part of Galilee, in the region of Galilee. And the hill country of Judea, most likely Zechariah lived in Hebron, which is the city of the priests. Zechariah was a priest. And so we're talking about 80 to 100 miles. 
and not on a regular beaten path either. We're talking for a 14-year-old girl, this was a tremendous journey, stupendous journey, fraught with difficulty. It would be very similar to me taking my 10-year-old son, 11-year-old son, and giving him a bus ticket to Chicago and putting him on a bus and sending him off to Chicago. No one, you know, there was no telephone, there was no nothing, there was no bus, there was no whatever. There were robbers, there were thieves. There was this tremendous journey, but Mary had a resoluteness about her that she was going to undertake this journey. Why? What was it that stirred her and made her able to convince her parents even to let her go? I think the clue is in the response that she gave to Elizabeth when she greeted her, this Magnificat, where she says, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see, Mary's response of heading to Elizabeth was not of shame and it was not of fear. It was of joy. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant and from now on, All generations will call me blessed, for he, the mighty one, has done great things for me. See, Mary is overflowing with joy, joy of what God has done for her, so much so that she has to share it with somebody. And the truth of the matter is nobody's going to get it except Elizabeth. This concocted story of God favoring her, of God's son growing in her, no one is going to get it but Elizabeth. And so she has to go and see Elizabeth. We see here this message that she's saying that God has magnified me. And not only God has magnified me, but God has magnified others too. Verse 50 to 53, that his mercy extends to all those who fear him from generation to generation. This message that Mary has heard and that she's carrying is not only for her, but for the whole world. And she has to go out and she has to share it. I remember one of my favorite Christmas presents was a yellow Tasco microscope. Excuse me, it was a black microscope. It came in a yellow case. This was when I was a little kid. My parents gave me this microscope. And as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, this was fascinating. I pulled out this microscope, and it was one of those little kits that had all those little slides in it where it had the little algae and the little whatever, and you'd sort of peer at the slide, and you could barely see something. And then you'd stick it under the microscope, and you'd set it on the lowest power, and you would look in, and all of a sudden, it was gargantuan. And you could see the beauty of this algae, this, and you could see all the intricacy and the beauty of it. See, that's what's going on in Mary's heart right now. She's saying, God has magnified me, though I'm so small. Look at what God has done. He's magnified me, and she's so brimming with joy that she has to go and she has to share it. Mary's life has shifted. Her meaning and her purpose and his worth has shifted from the circumstances of the world to God himself, and she has to share this joy. Think a little bit about that. Let me. Sometimes when we have so much joy, we have to share it. Can you think about that time, if you've been married before, when someone, that question was popped, and you received it, and there was such great joy? What was the first thing you did? You called somebody, didn't you? I've got to call someone. I've got to call my friends. I've got to tell my wife, my, uh, not my wife, I've got to call my my mom or my father, excuse me, wrong, wrong number, to go ahead and tell them what has happened. Or how about this one? There's a birth, you know, and there's a birth in the family and you're just brimming with joy. What do you do? You walk out and you talk to the people in the waiting room because you have to share your joy. You ever wonder why we go to church? 
Why do we go to church? I think it's the same reason that Mary went to Elizabeth. Because this joy, this favor that God has given us is so rich and it's so beautiful that it's almost like you can't believe it. We have to come together with other people. I remember as a kid, another present, I got an old Roman coin. And it was such a special coin that I would keep it wrapped up in this little thing here. Unfortunately, I've lost it. But I would remember I'd have it, and then I'd go ahead and I'd put that away. And, but I would want to know that it was safe, and I still had it. And so I'd come back, and I'd take it, and I'd open up, and I'd look in there because I wanted to see this treasure that I'd, had, I'd found. That's exactly what's going on with Mary. You know, one of the special things that I got to experience with Fontaine at the end of Harold's life was uh, I got to go visit him. And one of the things that was uh, burdening Fontaine was before Harold had passed, and uh, he had said that he had wanted to go to church. But he couldn't go to church. And so church came to him. And so I came, and as it so happened, I had the bulletin of the service last week. And so I came, and Fontaine and I together did the call to worship and we did some elements of the service, and we had a little service of church right there, just Fontaine, myself, and, uh, and Harold. See, Harold loved the church, and he knew the importance of coming together. That's exactly what's go- going on here with Mary and Elizabeth. And I'm so thankful for our church and the way that it's made up, because we have a lot of Marys, and we have a lot of Elizabeths. We have young folks and we have folks who are more seasoned saints who have been around. And isn't it neat when those people can come together? And I want to challenge you, Elizabeth's out there and Zachariah's out there, to share your faith with the young people in the congregation. And you out there, the Marys, that need that encouragement, that need to say, is this, all of this really true? Is all of this for me? To come together. Go and find yourself a Dot Fret or Bob Sandifer or a Tim Thomas, and sit down with them and hear and taste and see what the Lord has done. Where do we go to find joy? When was the last time that joy overflowed your heart so much that you literally risked everything and you went on some sort of crazy journey like this because your heart was so stirred by what God was doing in your life? See, so much of life is this rush to find joy that we can't seem to find anywhere. I think of this uh, old song, it's not that old, by Alabama. Remember that? I'm in a hurry to get things done. I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I really want to do is live and die, and I'm in a hurry, and I don't know why. People are looking for joy. And really what we're looking for is somebody to magnify us. We go around, each of us has a magnifying glass, just like this. And we go around and we hand it to people. See, the deepest recesses of our hearts is this longing to be magnified. But the only one that can truly do that is God. And so we hand this to people. And we hand this to things and we say, magnify me. Magnify me. Substantiate my life. But the truth of the matter is that they can't do it. There's only one who can magnify us. And that is God. God's favor is the source of our joy. And if we ever want to know the true source of joy, we must take our magnifying glass and hand it to God. For he is the only one that can truly tell us who we are. This leads me to my second point, which is that Jesus Christ is the means of our joy. I've been talking a little bit about Mary and 
her journey to see Elizabeth. And now I want to turn to Elizabeth. Because something fascinating happens when Mary, who is overflowing with joy, comes to see Elizabeth and walks in Zechariah's house. In verse 41, we see it said this way. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she explained, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, Mary walks in the door, and literally, the Greek says that uh, Elizabeth involuntarily sort of cried out aloud for joy. And why was it that she cried out for joy? It was the baby who leaped in her womb for joy, and that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that the first person to recognize who Jesus was was a baby in a womb? But that led to Elizabeth, because Elizabeth recognized who was before her today. She made this comment, Blessed are you, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In fact, they probably would have been speaking Hebrew or Aramaic. Blessed are you, but why am I so favored that the mother of Yahweh, my Yahweh, should come to me? The mother of my God. How did she know that inside of Mary was God himself? It blows my mind when I think about that concept. God of the universe, the one that put the stars into the sky, the one that keeps the galaxies all moving and correct, the one that makes sure the Amazon basin is functioning right now, the great and immortal God in the womb of a girl. The scriptures tell us in John 4, 24, that God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And 1 Timothy 6.15 says that God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, who no one can see, who no one has seen or can see. How is it possible that this God, this invisible, immortal God that cannot be reached, is right there in front of Elizabeth? I think of this picture where Moses, uh, who was a friend of God, uh, calls out to God in Exodus and he says, I want to see you. And Moses says, very well. And he takes Moses and he puts, them, puts him in the cleft of a rock. And if you remember, he manifests himself to Moses. But he says, I will put my hand over you as I pass by. And you can see the back part of me as I flow by. For no one can see my face and live. And yet here we see God in a little fetus, flesh and bone, Skin and blood being formed inside of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth sees and knows. How is that possible? Many of you will remember in 1990, a uh, technological marvel, the launch of the Hubble Space Telescope. It was uh, an uh, engineering wonder, a 57-meter telescope that they put in the space shuttle and they took up that was going to allow man to see into the farthest reaches of the universe. And at the heart of the Hubble was this gigantic lens. It was about 7 feet 10 inches in diameter, 48, 49 square feet of glass, the most exquisite, expensive piece of glass ever crafted that was at the centerpiece of the Hubble, that it would allow us to look through that lens into the farthest, deepest reaches of space, in fact, all the way back to when the universe began. 
And so there was much anticipation as the Hubble was launched and put in place and the NASA engineers went ahead and hooked everything up only to discover that it didn't work. It was a flop. It was a fiasco. They couldn't see what was the problem. The problem was the lens that had been crafted perfectly was crafted to the wrong specifications. It was off by one millimeter. And one millimeter was enough that what was supposed to be clear became a blur. Man's attempt to look into the far reaches of space had failed. See, isn't that the story of us? Trying to see to who God is and what he's like? Crafting our own Hubble space telescopes, different lenses that we create to try to look? But all of it's just a blur, isn't it? Because we can't see the invisible. We can't grasp the immortal. But something occurred here in this passage. Because man could not craft a Hubble telescope to see God. God crafted his own so that he could see us. Jesus Christ is the telescope, the lens of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God in focus. We could not see God because of the sin in our life that marred the lens. But Jesus has come and shown us the Father. Remember Philip talking to Jesus? Jesus, if you just show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. Oh, Philip, don't you know that whoever has seen me has seen the Father? Elizabeth looked through the lens of God and she saw the favor of God. Jesus is the lens that brings God in focus to us. But there's a second part of this lens because every lens has two sides. If Jesus is the lens that brings God in focus to us, he also is the lens that brings us in focus to God. Think about that. We couldn't see God, but God couldn't see us either because of our sin. You know, one of the interesting things about optics is that Everything is inverted in optics. You know, think of your lens, your eye, which is a lens. And what happens is what's out there right now comes into your eye and literally inverts and is brought down into a way that you can see it. And your brain reverse engineers it so you can see it. You see, Jesus inverted our image by inverting his Psalm 24, 3, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his eyes or hands to an idol that is false. That is the one who can see the Lord. Let me tell you, folks, I can't do that, but Jesus can. And Jesus inverted the image he made it possible that I could be brought near to God because he was willing to be brought far away from God. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Everything that's happened to Mary, all of these blessings that she has received, 
is a direct result of the curses that Jesus took on as he inverted the image. Think of this song that she sings, the Magnificat. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. I'm the one that's proud. But Jesus, though he was not proud, became scattered, abandoned by his followers and father and cast from the presence of God on the cross. He has brought down rulers from the thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Jesus was the ruler on the throne of all thrones. Yet he was the one who was brought down and made himself nothing, that I might be lifted up and be made great. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. It was we who were arrogant and boastful. And yet we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by our, his poverty we might become rich. Christ became poor by being born in a manger, born of a poor family, no clothes on his back, being crucified, the only thing he owned being gambled right at his feet, his cloak by Roman soldiers. Jesus was scattered so we might be gathered to God. Jesus was brought down so we might be lifted up. Jesus emptied himself of all good things that we might be filled with the favor and the blessing of God. Jesus is the lens that magnifies us to God and God to him. If the source of our joy is God's favor, the means of our joy is God's Son. Where will we go to able to see God and to have God to see us? This great inversion comes in no other place. It can't come in your job. It can't come in your relationships. It can't come in your knowledge. It can only come from this, the favored Son of God, the only lens that truly magnifies God and magnifies us. This leads me to my final point, that the response of our joy is praise. How did Mary respond? She responded with this magnificat, this song, which means to magnify. In the King James, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiceth in God my Savior. Now, where have we heard that before? Some of us know the Westminster Shorter Catechism as any good Presbyterian would. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I think that's where that came from. Right here. Mary's song. The magnification that God has given her is spontaneously flowing out into praise. You know that satisfaction spontaneously flows into praise. I want to tell you about one of my favorite Christmas dishes. It's called pineapple cheese casserole. Oh, just even talking about it, I start to get excited, and in a Pavlovian response, I'm starting to slobber on my notes here. It's so good. It's, you take a lot of sugar and a lot of butter. My wife can do it just right. And a lot of cheese and some sweet pineapple, and you sort of put it all together, and you, you cook it, you throw it in, and you bring it out, and it is just Oh, man, it's so good. I can't wait for Christmas. Why am I so excited? Because satisfaction flows into praise. Have you ever heard that song that just stirs your heart and you start exclaiming or 
you walk in the woods and you experience God's creation and you start talking to no one. Or that beautiful sunset going down and you see and you're so excited that you just have to speak out even if nobody is there. Mary had been magnified and she responds, by responding she magnified in return. See, those two things, to glorify God and enjoy him together, are just like that. They're bound up together. If Jesus was made to magnify God, we were made to magnify him as well. We are a magnifying glass, just like Christ was. See, the great thing about the Hubble is though it was broken and the NASA guys, they were taking it left and right, they went right to work. And you know what they did? They fixed it. Two billion dollars later, but they fixed it. And now through the Hubble, we are able to see into the far reaches of space. See, we're the broken lenses. If you believe in Christ, Christ has come. He has restored you and is restoring you, repaired you and is repairing you. I have been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to make us serviceable as lenses of God. We can image God correctly through Christ and His Spirit. See, we don't manufacture praise. We just reflect it. That's why we sing at church. That's why we come together. You know, this service is meant to be a celebration. Let me tell you what God has done for me. I really love Harold. It was neat talking with Fontaine and different stories, and she reflected upon a story when Harold was younger, and she was younger, and Harold turned to her and said to her, you know, when I die, I want the service to be a celebration. And, and you know, Fontaine was struck by that. Oh, well, you'll never die. I mean, you're, you're dead. You're immortal. Well, we all are mortal as we know. But what was Harold saying? See, he understood that God had magnified him and that God would watch over him. And this was just the intermezzo of the final climax and that life is meant to be, be lived in celebration. We, all of us, have a dangerous duty of delighting in God, peering deeply into the lens of Jesus Christ and helping one another to see the truth of the favor that belongs to those who have been magnified by God. But friends, we also have a duty, which is to take this message, this magnification, out of these four walls. God has called us and given us a mission to magnify. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. We're just like Mary at the end of the day, aren't we? See, we'll worship together, we'll celebrate, and then we'll walk out the door. And we'll go, answer our phone, go to the office, live a normal life. It's right around the corner. But God calls us to win our family to God, to Christ to win our office to Christ, to win our school to Christ. But in order to do that, we must win ourselves first. We have a responsibility to grow up and take responsibility for our own growth in Christ. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, we all know the value of joy. It is the proof that what we have truly satisfies the heart. 
what people out there need to see. They don't need to hear the gospel as much as they need to see the gospel. A life transformed by grace. What would happen if our church became a place like that? A bunch of people that magnified God. That when God saw Church of the Redeemer, when God saw our lives, he could see through our lives to the one who blessed us and made us who we are. What kind of church would we be like if we were like that? I tell you what, there would not be enough room in this place because that's what people are looking for, isn't it? They just don't know his name. We do. I want to challenge other folks who may be hearing this message for the first time. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've never heard any of this, even thought about it. God's favor is for you. Peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. And who does his favor rest on? All of those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Ponce de Leon spent all of his life looking for the fountain of youth. He never found it. We have in Christ. The source of our joy is God's favor. The means of our joy is God's Son. The response of our joy is God's praise. Blessed is he who believes that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. Let us pray. Lord, what a beautiful picture. Mary hurriedly heading off to see Elizabeth because she was so overflowing with joy that she had to talk to somebody else. Lord, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we can see how you truly feel about us, that you have come near. We praise Christ who diminished himself that we might be magnified who inverted the image. Lord, help us to grasp the deepness and significance of that and help us to take it out of these four walls into a community that so desperately needs to see the love of God. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.